Well, you may have seen the bumper video. This, we're in a two-week series, the two Sundays leading up to Thanksgiving called Count Your Blessings. And the inspiration comes from that song that you might have heard in that video, Count Your Blessings. Let me read you the chorus. Notice I said read and not sing. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Some of you are singing with me. I know, I could almost hear you. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. Familiar with that, right? Well, that's kind of what we're going to do in about two weeks. Sit around our Thanksgiving table and talk about the things that we are thankful for. Even if we don't particularly feel thankful in that moment, we're going to have family members who encourage us and say, come on, there's got to be something that you're thankful for. Count your blessings. And so usually we can find something to point to, something to say, I'm thankful for this, even if our heart really isn't into it. The phrase, count your blessings, is uh, one of those weird phrases. I mean, it's a song that many of us grew up with hearing or singing. Uh, but if we're not careful, that phrase can be misused. And certainly uh, we can miss the mark with that phrase. I think sometimes we... we with all like sincerity and trying to help people, when, when life is tough or somebody faces difficult circumstances, someone gets a, 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 a curveball thrown at them or a gut punch, we can look at them and be like, you know what, count your blessings. I think we're honestly trying to help, but sometimes um, while we're technically correct, there's always something to be thankful for. There's always something to, to count as a blessing. If we're not careful being technically cor correct, uh, we could be, like, incorrect when it comes to being people savvy or sensitive when life is difficult. That's the last thing I want to hear when uh, someone crashes into my car, which happens about once every six months. Well, count your blessings, Jerome. Well, thank you for that. I think sometimes we, we say count your blessings because we want to hold people's pain and the awkwardness of their situation kind of at arm's length, and we get credit for... We're not letting them rain on our parade and being, a, being an encouragement, but really we're just not wanting to absorb their reality. But, ooh, that's another sermon. So we misuse the phrase, but I think sometimes even when we don't misuse the phrase or abuse the phrase, we can just miss the mark on the phrase. Because a lot of times if, when we hear the term count your blessings or I am blessed, what are we thinking about? Usually it's the stuff we have. It's material things. And if we're like spiritual, it's more than just material things. It's about relationships and family. It's still circumstance. We count our blessings and we think about the circumstances in life, the stuff I have, the people I have or know or love, how I'm loved. We think about circumstances and I think we miss the mark because circumstances, and you don't have to live long to know this, circumstances are fickle and fleeting. While there is always something circumstance-wise to be thankful for, there is always something circumstance-wise to not be thankful for. We'll never be in a place where our circumstances are like, I am thankful for the whole bucket of stuff. It's a mixed bag, is it not? Thankful for this, not thankful for that. But there are blessings that are greater than our circumstances. And today we're going we're gonna to literally count. Like I'm going to stop and say number one, number two. We're going to count our blessings. Blessings that are greater than fickle and fleeting blessings that we experience in our circumstances. Greater than our stuff. And the result of counting these blessings should mean that we would approach this holiday in a way that would help us to celebrate greater than we maybe celebrated last year. But it's more than just 
how we celebrate this coming holiday. It, it, it's how do we live our life day in and day out? Do we live in light of these blessings? See, what we're going to look at really may not be a shock to you, may not be new information. It's not necessarily that we didn't know these things. These things may be familiar. Actually, I, I guarantee if, you, if you've been in church a while, these things are familiar. But my question is, are they so familiar that we don't ever stop to ponder the magnitude and the significance of these blessings. It takes a little bit of pondering. More than that, it takes, I believe, the Holy Spirit to illuminate and make these things come alive in our heart, in our mind, where we really take these blessings and integrate it into the fabric of our life and not just say, well, these blessings, that's left for a theological discussion. But it's going to change and if it doesn't change how we live our life, then this is just a, like a religious exercise. Turn with me, Ephesians chapter 1. As you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, let me give you a little background. Um, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, uh, probably when he was in prison in Rome around AD 62. It's a church that he knew really well. We read about his relationship with the church in Ephesus in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 18, he was there at the very end of his second missionary journey. Acts chapter 19, he comes back through at the beginning of his third missionary journey. He stays there for three years. And then in Acts chapter 20, when he's going back to Jerusalem, uh, he knows he's not going to see them again. He, gets to a, he goes to a nearby town called Miletus and... I think there's a Miletus, California. Anyways, he goes to a nearby town, not California, and calls the elders from Ephesus down so he can say farewell to them. There was an intimate relationship with them. And listen to this. The purpose of Ephesians is for him to give instructions on how to live in light of Christ's work on the cross. And he opens the book discussing Christ's work on the cross. How do we live in light of Christ's works on the cross? That's why he's writing this. So Paul opens up this letter, and we haven't read it yet, but he opens this letter with a prayer, which is very common uh, in that day and that time. Praise be to God. And then he begins to expand, which is actually kind of unique. The praise be to God, da-da-da-da-da. But he begins to really unpack and, ex and elaborate on this prayer. Um, verses 3 through 14 are pretty much just one long praise account. And if you, if you kind of dig into it, in, in the verses we're about to read, there's, there's at least 11, or perhaps 11, references to Israel in the Old Testament. And he takes these terms that were really from the Old Testament in relation to Israel, and he applies it to believers. You're going to see those words, like inheritance and adoption. We're going to see that in a moment. Read with me Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just stop here. I, I read out of the New Living Translation when I, when I, when I speak because it, we have teenagers. This reads at a pretty low English level. It's very easy to understand, but the, there are words that were missing, like he calls them saints, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, but I just want you to realize what I'm reading is probably not the translation you have in front of you. That's okay. We'll talk about those things. May God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. 
God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing him to himself through Christ Jesus. Bringing us to himself, excuse me. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his, mysteri his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything on heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news, that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that, we will, that he will give us the inheritance he promised, that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. We talked about blessings. Before we get there, I already said something about the saints thing. I think it's important to note here, because when I grew up, I thought saints, other than being a team from New Orleans that played football, I thought saints were like the superstars and the rock stars of the Christian faith, like the people who were so good that like they got statues and churches named after them, or even cities. Do you know saint actually just means set apart one? So if your Bible says saints there, he's talking about you. If you are a Christian and you put your trust in Jesus, he's talking about you. He's talking about us. So just wanted to make that clear. Um, we have what we call imputed righteousness, Christ's righteousness, if you believe in Jesus, that you are given his righteousness and you are a saint. You may not feel like a saint, and sometimes we don't look like saints, but you are a saint. Now let's take a look at verses 3 through 14. And I want to, I want, I'd like to divide 3 through 14 up into three sections. First of all, verses 3 through 6, what we see is the spiritual blessings that come from the Father. And it's worth noting here that while he's speaking specifically to the church in Ephesus, that... Um, like, when you read the Bible, sometimes, especially these letters, Paul is addressing specific circumstances, or there's, like, conflict, or there's some sort of sin. He's, he's calling out the, those specific circumstances that are specific to that church, in that time, in that place. But what he's saying here regards the saints, who are not just the saints in Ephesus, but the saints includes us. This applies to all Christians. This prayer is not specifically... Uh, solely for the church in Ephesus. Look at verse 3. All praise to God our Father. God is to be praised. He's supposed to, he's supposed to be blessed. Why? At the very last part of 3. Because he has given us every spiritual blessing. Do you feel spiritually blessed? You should. Some of you are nodding your head. I think we know we're spiritually blessed. I don't know that we live as if we're spiritually blessed. So Paul wants to make sure people understand what he means by spiritual blessing, begins to unpack that phrase. He shows the spiritual blessings that come from the Father in these verses. The first one is that, what? Being chosen. 
chosen for some of you who want to like some of you, huh. so here's the deal when I listen to sermons, the reason I became a preacher is because I can't sit still and listen to someone else preach. So I figured I should be up here because that helps me. But my mind usually wanders and races. And as soon as I hear someone say chosen, my mind automatically goes to like, oh, he's talking about election and predestination. And, and you know, to go on, if, you're, if that's you, if you're like me, ADD and proud of it, um, bring it back. Let me just say something about election and predestination. The Bible indeed speaks that God chooses those who will be saved. And the Bible also speaks of humans having freedom and choice. So take that. I'm, that's why I'm a Calminian, but that's another thing altogether. But we are chosen. He's chosen us. That's number one. Count our blessings. Blessing number one, that we have been chosen. And God's choice makes us what? Holy and blameless, right from the text, in his sight, because we believe in Jesus, all of our sins are forgiven. Not that we never sin, but our sin was paid for by the death of Jesus. Jesus was holy and blameless, and I mentioned a second ago, imputed righteousness. We are in Jesus, so we are holy and blameless in God's sight because Jesus was holy and blameless. That's number one. Count your blessings. You are chosen. Blessing number two. These spiritual blessings Paul's talking about that are not based on our circumstances, if you haven't got, caught that. It's not our stuff or our relationships. Verses 5 through 6, we are adopted. We are adopted as full-fledged children. Now, adopted means that someone is brought into the family given the same rights as a child that was born into that family, and God did this through Jesus. Paul says, this is what he wanted to do. I love this part. You might have heard me pause when I read it. And it gave him great pleasure. Count your blessings. You've been chosen. You've been adopted. And it gave him great pleasure. Now I said, some of this might not sound new, but I also said, do we live our life in light of it? Do we remember it? Or do we just kind of relegate it to theological discussions? We, man, what would life be like if we really walked day in and day out just remembering that we have been chosen and adopted? The second part comes from verses 7 through 12 where we see spiritual blessings that come from the Son. We see four spiritual blessings in these verses 7 through 12. We've been redeemed, number three, forgiven, enlightened, and enriched. Now we're up to six, but let's talk about those first. Verse number seven We've been redeemed. That's the number, that's the third blessing. The term redeemed means to be bought back. There's a sense of being released from slavery. We've been released from slavery to the enslaving power of sin. We've been freed from sin, both its penalty and its power in our life. And our redemption was accomplished on the cross. We have been redeemed. Jesus paid the price for our release from sin and death. And hand in hand with redemption comes forgiveness. We have been forgiven. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. This is number four. We have been forgiven. And I know you're like, well, that's like the most basic thing I learned as a kid. I know, but do we live as those who are forgiven? Forgiveness goes hand in hand with redemption. To forgive means that we give up the right to punish someone for their offense, for their wrongdoing. 
And our forgiveness required the sacrificial death of Jesus who died in our place on our behalf because of God's grace. Count your blessings. You've been chosen, adopted, redeemed, and forgiven. Then we get to verse 9. We have been enlightened. Look, look at that. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ. I mean, God has revealed himself to us in his word. But do you know, like, I remember, I wish I had a whiteboard. Let's raise money for a whiteboard right now. No, we could buy a whiteboard. It's right here. It's one of those smart boards. Can we take one of those out of a public school classroom and just put it right there? No, we won't steal it. Um, we'll just wait till they're throwing it out and dive in the dumpster. ADD, bring it back. Okay, listen. I remember when I was in a, like a beginning the Bible college student, uh, they talked about God's revelation. There was like a line they drew in this Imagine a square with this line, like, here's what we know and here's what we don't know. And they said, you know, what we have of God is just kind of what he revealed to us. And there's this little corner just below the line of here's what we know, but it's so much infinitely greater than we could. I mean, I think he spared us from trying to reveal too much because I don't think we could handle it. He's revealed himself to us. He's enlightened us. He's revealed his mysterious will regarding Christ. It's a mystery that's known to believers, but unknown and not understood by those who do not believe. Verse 11, we are enriched. We have received an inheritance from God. The result of this, he says in verse 12, what's the result of all these things, these, these spiritual blessings that come through Christ. The result is that God should be praised. Count your blessings and in response, give God praise. We got one more section though. Paul has listed off six spiritual blessings. We just have a few more, verses 7 through 14. Spiritual blessings that come from the Spirit. Verse 13, that we are spiritually secure. Count your blessings, you are spiritually secure. Now, I know some of you are like, oh, he's going back to his Calvinist stuff. Just stick with me here. You've been marked with a seal. Now, do you, do you know, like, in that time and days, like, and you've probably seen this, like, the stamp of, like, wax. There was a seal. There was a mark. There was an identity that was in that mark that was in the wax to say this is, like, shows ownership You've been marked with a seal. There's authority. There's authenticity. There's security. You have a mark uh, upon you of ownership. God seal on his children with the Holy. God seals his children with the Holy Spirit, indicating that we are his authentic spiritual children. Count your blessings. In verse 14, a deposit. The Holy Spirit is given as a deposit or a down payment, guaranteeing our inheritance in Christ. It was understood, like verses from, so when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he quotes Joel from chapter 2, verse 28, and he says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. It was understood that in the last days that the spirit would be made available in a greater measure. 
Paul here speaks of the, the Spirit as a deposit or a down payment that those who have tasted the Spirit ha- have begun to taste the life to come that God has promised his people. Count your blessings. A deposit. A down payment. The Holy Spirit. And what's to come. Church, I look at these eight different things that we've just counted in Paul's opening prayer, the church in Ephesus, and I think we are blessed. We are blessed. We as Christians, if you are a Christian, if you put your trust in Jesus, you are blessed. If we have nothing else, we are blessed. We have enough in this, rep- in, in this prayer of what Christ has done for us, what the Father has done for us through the cross to be content for all eternity. And here's the truth, though. We have this and so much more. Isn't it amazing how easily we become discontent? We have all of this. We have everything. And then we have so much more on top of that. And yet we find ourselves living life discontent. Focus on the things that we want, that we don't have. In Christ we have everything, but our hearts long for so much more. And we actually already have so much more. I, write this down, because this, this applies whether you're a Christian or not, but I think it applies more so as Christians because we have these spiritual blessings. Discontentment says, I don't have what I want And contentment says, I have more than I deserve. Now, I have a house and a family and a truck, and maybe I don't deserve those things. But what I have in Christ, I certainly do not deserve. I certainly have not earned. And if contentment says, I have more than I deserve, then as Christians, we should be the most content people in the world because we have the most significant things that we've not deserved or earned. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher, you guys probably know who Charles is. Um, He said this once in a sermon. I have heard of some good old woman. This is Charles now, not me. And I'm not going to try to fake a British accent because it's terrible. Uh, I have heard, sorry. I have heard of some good old woman in a cottage who had nothing but a piece of bread and a little water. Lifting up her hands, she said as a blessing, what? What? All this and Christ too? Nothing but a piece of bread and a little water. And she rejoiced, I have all of this and Christ too. See, this old woman understood that Christ, in Christ she had everything. And that anything in addition was absolutely pure blessing. And what kind of life must it be to be like that? I wish I could say I was like that. To look at the ordinary things we have and compare to the things that we don't have, but say, all of this in Christ too. That's a contentment that I want to know. See, I'm not preaching here on contentment 
spiritual blessing because I've like aced the class. I'm just doing this because that's what God called me to do. I'm with you. Unless, you're, unless you've got it figured out, then we should switch places. Discontentment says, I don't have what I want. And, and you focus on what, I, what, I don't, what you don't want. But contentment says, I have more than I deserve. So let me give you a couple takeaways. What do we do about that? If that's true, then what do we do about it? Well, focus less on what you want and more on what God has already given you. Now, you could, you, could, you could make that about relationships and material things, and I think you ought to. But before you do go down that route, make it about the things we just looked at, the blessings we just spoke about, every spiritual blessing that Paul just laid out in Ephesians, adopted, redeemed, inheritance. I will admit if I haven't already, that this is certainly easier said than done to focus less on what you want and more on what God has already given you because I don't know that we could ever actually live in that place where we don't at least glance at what we want. Because focusing on what you want is natural, but, but focusing on what God has given you, that doesn't come easy. That's not as natural. So I'm asking you to do something that's not natural, something that you're not, by default we don't do. Sin is selfish. We are all born into sin. And we all are thinking about what we want. See, we have these spiritual blessings, and we do have so much more. If we apply the spiritual blessings that Paul has said and, and focus on what we have, then we have everything. And everything beyond that, on top of that, is blessing. You know, uh, I, I almost hesitate to say this because... As much as I don't want to make counter-blessings about the stuff we have, and if I start to go down that route, then I kind of making, I'm making it about stuff. Let, let's take the time out and talk about that. Compared to most of the world, you and I are kings and queens, princes and princesses, living in palaces. We are surrounded by luxury, and we have more than we need. And I know you're like, well, I really need that. No, we do. We have more than we need more than anyone else needs. Why has God blessed us? Why do we have these blessings when most of the world does not? Why are my children not here? Why are my children <laughs> in children's church? Why are they healthy? Can run and play. They're not... Weak from malnutrition like so many children around the world are. Why is my water clean for drinking? I know, it tastes weird in Carmel, but it's clean. It tastes a little weird in Westfield too. It's not full of parasites. It might be full of other little things. But it's not full of parasites. Why is when my son broke a bone in his pinky earlier this year, that was a minor inconvenience that lasted six weeks? But for other places and other parts of this world, that is catastrophic to someone's livelihood and life. The only conclusion I have is that God has been very, very, very good to us. The, verse, the first verse of Count Your Blessings says this, When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, 
when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Second thing is this, let your gratitude flow from contentment in Christ and not your circumstances in life. If contentment is having what you don't deserve, our circumstances will say it's material and it's relationships, but those things will never fully satisfy in a fallen world. And if you're never fully satisfied, you're never really grateful. It's funny because the funny thing is, like the antidote to, to greed and, and, and wanting something is not actually getting that thing. It just makes you want other things more. The antidote is actually giving things away. That's another sermon altogether. But we believe in this thing. If I could just get that thing, it'll put me over the top and I'll be satisfied. And that's never ending. But gratitude and contentment, they build off each other. Gratitude flows into contentment. When we are grateful for what we have, we find ourselves content. And when we live in contentment, we find ourselves so grateful. We find ourselves grateful. We don't have, we don't, oh. Truth is, we may not have everything we want, but we do have more than what most people even desire. And I certainly have more than I deserve. I would like to have a gratefulness that shuts my complaining mouth. See, we complain about things that so many in the world, so many people in the world would rejoice over. I have a car that can break down. Praise God, I have a car that can break down. I have a house that needs repair. Oh, oh, I need a bigger table. I need a bigger table. We had put new siding on our house uh, because of the hailstorm back in March. And they put the wrong color in. Praise God I have a house. And the HOA is going to call any moment. <laughs> when Heather and I were missionaries, I remember throwing away things in the garbage and having people come in after us to get those things. Because they treasured those things. Matthew Henry is a Puritan uh, church leader. Many of you have at least know the name. He once had his wallet stolen. And upon, he pondered that event, and he wrote this in his diary. Yeah, dudes have diaries too, apparently, at least back in the day before Twitter. Um, he wrote this. Listen to this. Addressed to the Lord. I thank thee first because I was never robbed before. Second, because... Although they took my purse, I guess dudes had purses back in the day, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it, it wasn't much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not the one who robbed. See, rather than giving into the temptation to complain, he paused for a moment and took stock of all that he's been given. He'd never been robbed before, he was still alive. They took all he had, but it wasn't much. And he was the one who was robbed and not the other way around. 
Matthew Henry counted his blessings and he shut his mouth from complaining. Verse 3. When you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings. Money cannot buy. Your reward in heaven or your home on high. Your reward in heaven, your home on high. These are the spiritual blessings that Paul speaks about. And everything else on top of that, just blessing. If you're not a Christian today, I'm so glad you're here and listening to this message. Um, really, there's tangible things to take away, to live grateful, to be to have gratitude, to have contentment even in what you have. But can I say that those of us who are Christians, that, and I hope you heard the message of the gospel through this, is we have something beyond our circumstance, something beyond our stuff and our relationships to be thankful for. All the blessings that you can be thankful for, and you should, because God's blessed you just by being in this country. I don't know that they will fully satisfy. No, I, I, I do know. They will not fully satisfy. True contentment comes from the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Truly having what you don't deserve and didn't earn, no one can take away. And that's the message of the gospel. That we come into this world selfish, born into sin. Nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. Separated. And Jesus Christ comes and lives a life that we could not live and dies a death that we deserve in our place, on our behalf, that we can be made right, right standing with God, right relationship with God. That's the good news. And if you get nothing else, if you're not a Christian, get that. I, uh, we, you saw our prayer team. They would be happy to pray with you. If, you, if this has been something you're thinking about and exploring faith, man, all it really requires is you to cross the line of faith. You, we pray to receive Jesus, but usually that's just after we've already received him in our heart. It, we believe. We cross that line. We'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you, but I'll be staying at the door shaking people's hands and kissing babies. Let me close this out by reading what follows from our text today. You see, Paul talks about these spiritual blessings, but let's be honest, and I kind of hinted at this at the beginning, these things are not necessarily easy to fully comprehend or even appreciate. So Paul, Paul prays for the enlightenment of those in Ephesus, and he prays for our enlightenment. The, the, the blessings we just counted in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14 that we would comprehend and appreciate. We would live life in light of those things. He prays that they might comprehend our hope, our riches, and God's power. Let me read it to you, starting in verse 15. The band can come at this time if you'd like, because after this I'm going to pray. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you, constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you will understand 
the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. To Paul's prayer, I say amen. May we grasp what it is that we have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We recognize, Lord, that we live in a land of incredible blessing. And yet, surrounded by wealth and prosperity, we can still live so discontent, still wanting, looking at stuff and people to fill uh, this need for satisfaction. And really what you have given us beyond that blessing of material and, and relational uh, blessings are what you've given us in Christ, what was accomplished for us on Calvary, these spiritual blessings that Paul lays out. Lord, I pray that you would help us ponder that we may live life with that awareness. We are adopted. We are chosen. We are forgiven. God, it's one thing to learn those things in Sunday school. It's one thing to know the theological terms and their definitions. It's another thing to live life in light of those things. Help us, Lord. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.